Yeah, our next speaker will be uh, Mr. Stephen Liaris, who is, uh, uh, has worked for many years in civil engineering, town planning, and uh, has a Master in Environmental Law and is currently a PhD candidate at the University of Sydney in their Department of Political Economy, who will be speaking to us about the Circular Economy Innovation Hubs. Thanks, Nancy, and thanks, Hamid, for inviting me to present today. Um, somewhat different approach from me, I think, to, to the one that just presented. Um, in that exploring alternative futures, I think it's essential that we start by looking at transitions, and I'm particularly drawn to the ideas of Kenneth Boulding, who talks about the meaning of the 20th century, the Great Transitions book, talks about how the 20th century is actually the second great transition after the transition from the hunter-gatherer lifestyle to settled agricultural life. I'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But this presentation is based on uh, uh, my research at the um, Department of Political Economy where I'm looking at the implementation plan for a new human settlement theory and that uh, draws on my earlier work where I talked about uh, the, an earlier transition uh, in about 600 BC with the invention of coins that enabled uh, the first multinational empire in uh, the ancient Persians and, um, and created the empire. It was the first modern nation state, modern form of nation state. Um, so implementing a new human settlement theory, we've been, uh, been a nomad for the last three and a half years, uh, living out of a motor home with my partner, uh, developing these ideas as well as um, uh, connecting with various councils and communities and researchers to form partnerships to help uh, implement them. So I always start with the challenges, but only one slide on the challenges. Um, key point is to move beyond the challenges and look at the solutions, but to also understand that all of these are interconnected symptoms of a systemic problem with the current uh, system that we're living in. So what are the transitions that are already happening? The energy transition is usually framed in terms of a transition from fossil fuels to renewables. But in my mind, the uh, more important transition or equally important transition is from a centralised to a distributed network. The first transition relates to a zero marginal cost, a future zero marginal cost society. And you can see that with renewables, there is no fuel input. So all the work involved in digging up the coal, transporting it to the power plant, um, running the power plant and so on, uh, and the high degree of uh, maintenance of those power plants is all going to disappear um, as uh, the, all that's involved is, is basically maintenance and uh, planning for the next iteration of the infrastructure. So towards a zero marginal cost uh, society with productive efficiency driving that. And the centralised to distributed transition is about localisation and that's a towards zero distribution cost. So because it's a clean energy, you don't need to have all the large transmission infrastructure. You don't need to have it well outside the end consumer. You can put it on, your, on the roof of the building and design a local microgrid for the consuming community. And, and this is exactly what uh, uh, commu various community groups, that's just two examples at the top there, at Shoalhaven and Central Coast that have formed, but the, the other two 
that's Jara is here from the Community Power Agency and, and Pingala also are providing the supporting infrastructure for those community groups to help drive the transition. Uh, so that's amazing work and it's all around this idea of community renewable energy, so community scale infrastructure, not at the household scale. And this takes us to the next kind of uh, renewable resource, which is food, of course. And you can follow the same principles there. In terms of it being a uh, fossil fuel industry, you can see this study from the US indicates that we need about 7.4 calories of energy to produce one calorie of food. And uh, only a small portion, about 25% of that, is actually in the production. The rest is in the distribution and preserving and getting it from the producer to the consumer. So that's all about the centralised um, system that uh, is far away from the end consumer, hence the high distribution costs. And so the transition there is to urban agriculture and community supported agriculture. And you'll note the parallel to the community scale, community supported agriculture like community renewable energy. Same sort of idea shift from um, from a large-scale uh, centralised system to a local uh, distributed network. Similarly with the water transitions, in fact the water industry is the most uh, advanced. The uh, best practice now is water-sensitive urban design, uh, which the, the water industry has, engineers have been advancing for some 20 years now. And that's all, again, uh, local scale, capturing, harvesting, storing, distributing the water at the local scale. So again, a shift from um, a centralised system to a distributed network. Similarly, with transport transitions, shift from uh, fossil fuels to, um, to renewable electric automated car sharing. If you read uh, Tony Siebel, listen to his podcasts, He'll tell you the next car you buy will be your last in the next 10 or so years. Well, at least in the cities, you'll have a uh, fleets of automated car sharing that will be um, electric automated car sharing that will be our main transport system. And this again is about a localization, which will be a distributed network of EV charging stations uh, hooked into renewable energy microgrids that um, are powered by renewable energy. So you can start to see the connections between these transitions as well. And of course, one of the most major transitions and um, the most uh, or least advanced is the shift to renewable, to 3D printers and print on demand, where instead of mass production and logistics infrastructure and warehousing and distribution networks, uh, global supply chains and retailing and pushing endless goods, everything will be print on demand. Um, and if you think this is uh, unlikely, the publishing industry has already been disrupted in this way. Amazon has a network of uh, printers around the world, so when you buy a book on Amazon, it's just printed at your nearest printer and sent to you. And so all of this leads to the work transitions and the idea that, of course, robots are taking our jobs. Well, automation generally is taking those jobs. But it, it leads to this, it also connects with this idea of the rise of the lifestyle town and uh, of the idea of e-change and the possibility that you don't need to work 40 hours a week 
you, much of our work will be either automated or eliminated because we've eliminated the global supply chains and you could be anywhere connected to the internet and able to contribute the few hours of work that you need to do uh, in order to keep the system running. So housing transitions, of course, this is what a centralised planning system delivers. Um, endless housing reliant on fossil fuels to move around. And of course, uh, illustrates the disconnect in the fact that these are figures for New South Wales. 67% of our housing is, is uh, separate detached housing, but 24% uh, of the population is one person households. So that's uh, on the figure on the, the diagram on the left is the number of people per household in the houses. And we've had a significant reduction. In 1911, there were 4.5 people per household. In the 1970s, there were 3.5. Uh, we're now at 2.7. And all the uh, demand for new housing or, or the, the narrative that's, that's developed around the need for new housing assumes that that trajectory will continue and there will be fewer and fewer people to wear or live alone in one house. And so these ideas of co-housing and eco-villages uh, have been trying to break that paradigm and integrate your food and your water, energy and housing systems. Um, unlike um, an earlier comment today, I really believe that language is important. The narrative that you try to develop and you speak is important. And we tried talking about eco-villages and co-housing for quite some time and found that uh, it was just, uh, we, we just got blank faces most of the time, simply because um, people are not listening. Once, once the word, uh, whether it's socialism or capitalism or eco-villages, it's ascribed to a particular category of people, uh, hippies or uh, extreme uh, greenies or whatever it is, and people are no longer listening. So what's interesting about this transition is that uh, large development companies like Mervac and, uh, uh, and others are developing this idea of build, build to rent, which is the model that they talk about. They sell it as co-living, where you can live together with others and they have a managed estate uh, with more shared spaces. And, um, and it's, it's not designed to be sold, it's designed to be managed so that there, you can have you don't have to have the large house in order to get the high price for it. You, you're selling a, a lifestyle. And, um, and so you're starting to create these local... Um... So anyway, so bringing it all together, how do we bring all of these transitions together? Because they're all clearly interplaying and interacting with each other. And we start with this idea of managing the commons. So if your local community is managing your water, your food, your energy, and you bring together the work and living spaces, your housing, housing and workspaces into the one thing, then um, you start to create an integrated system. And the particular thing about water, food, energy, and living spaces is that they're all place dependent. So you get a common approach in each place that you manage, you're managing the water, you're using an energy microgrid to power a water microgrid to irrigate a food system, and you design your live and work spaces to minimise energy demand. Uh, and all of these things can, can work uh, 
uh, you get greater efficiencies by in interconnecting the systems. The other narrative that we're working on is this transition from a linear to a circular economy. And uh, as you can see, the current economy is a take, make, use, dispose model. And this narrative of a circular economy has taken, taken off in, uh, in Europe and it's, uh, they're even promoting it, in, they're promoting it as well in China. Um, but we're applying it, they usually apply it just to the production of goods to maximise profit. We're applying it to say, well, how does that apply to the settlement, to human settlement? How do you create a dynamic system, city as a dynamic system, or a village scale development as a dynamic system that uh, constantly recycles and regenerates? And so we're developing this, this approach of systems thinking, thinking in cycles, striving for zero waste. So those first three are the general principles of a circular economy. And it, it also connects with the idea of a universal basic income, but instead of paying people money, you create places in which people can sustain themselves. And the basic income debate is really just about distribution of wealth, whereas we're talking here also about the, how you create wealth. What, it, what does it mean to create wealth? And we believe it, it's in managing your natural resources and um, building up soil health and the productivity of the land by, by managing the natural systems and that creates an abundance and drives when you have an oversupply because we're planning for a discrete population then it, that drives the price towards zero for those basic necessities. And that discrete number, the 200 people, it, uh, it works, uh, it, it uh, uses the Dunbar number, 150 people is about the scale that we can know other people without creating hierarchies. Uh, so up to 200 people and our focus is to create a replicable process. So, oh, sorry for that. That's uh, the, working with the planning system, working with councils is uh, my background in town planning and in uh, rezoning applications and uh, rezoning of land. And uh, the key here is to capture the land value uplift when you're rezoning the land from rural to urban. Um, and, and that diagram also uh, in, reflects this idea of, of the economy embedded within society, embedded within the natural environment. So we're trying to tell that story as well. And so we're calling it a circular economy, economy village or circular economy innovation hub, depending on who we're talking to. Uh, integrated energy microgrid, food system, live and work, water cycle. But Importantly, we see it as a, as a network, not as an individual hub. We're not dropping out of society. We're creating a system in which the society can transition. And then you can connect using online platforms for more complex needs, using peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, creative commons, open source, crowdsourcing of skills and so on for the more complex needs. So um, we're also planning for nomads. So the idea of uh, a network allows uh, you to move from place to place and then you can start thinking of it as a network of waterholes connected by song lines in which you can create your own story uh, but able to provide your basic necessities and contribute for as long as you wish at any particular place. Internet of Cities is another narrative that we're trying to propose and I think that's one thing that uh, we're really keen on is, is 
this idea of narratives and stories and the language that you use is really important because we present to councils, we presented to one council that had a Greens mayor, um, had um, Labor, Liberal, Nationals and Independents on the council. What language do we speak that speaks to all of them? And so we have to talk about uh, investment in your local area. We have to talk about um, uh, resilience to the future. We have to talk about maintaining the natural environment. We have to talk about creating places where people can be socially connected and support each other and, and manage the natural environment. So we're working with a number of uh, researchers. The researchers at University of South Australia are a nutritionist and, uh, and a modeler who are translating various nutrition plans into agricultural plans to work out how much land and water we need to sustain that discrete population because we have it's easy to plan once you have a discrete number because those are fairly inelastic um, um, commodities or basic necessities. Uh, University of Queensland, there's a few researchers there. Uh, QUT, Smart Cities. Uh, Western Sydney University, we're speaking with Louise Crabtree about um, uh, ownership structures, in particular community land trusts as a way of collectively owning that space. CSIRO uh, will be doing the, um, the energy and water microgrid integration design and they have an urban living labs program where they're exploring uh, different models or able to test and uh, research those models on an ongoing basis. Um, the difficulty so far has been uh, to get institutional support from, from a university or a research institute that will help to drive this. Um, it's just been the two of us trying to make this happen and it's, uh, it, there's a lot of interest but no money or backing for it and the early stages require a fair bit of um, uh, upfront modelling and design and, uh, and um, yeah, so that's uh, our website, Utility Developments, Blending Beauty with Utility, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and that's it, if there's any questions. Thanks very much, that was a, a, a lovely model of future living. We might hold the questions till the end. Um, and so now I will...